Some of us this morning are feeling alone. Feeling as if we're doing this life by ourselves. I ask that this morning, God, and even right now, that you would come and you would walk by our side, tap us on the shoulder, whisper in our ear, speak to our heart, and just remind us, Lord, of your track record of how you have been so faithful to us. You have never left us. You've never abandoned us. When we have felt alone, Lord God, you have been right there. You've cared for us. I dare say you've even wept for us, God. Cherished us in our heart, in your heart. You have longed for us. Jesus, your word says that you have prayed for us. And so this morning, Lord God, we recognize your amazing sovereign hand upon all of our goings, all that we have done. And we surrender this to you, God. We surrender our hearts and attitudes. You are good, Lord God. You are good. And when we have felt alone, we acknowledge right now, we have never been alone. You have always been with us. When we have felt lonely, Lord God, you have been right by our side. And I just thank you for this, God. Your word is truth, and you are the true God. You never fail. You are so faithful, God. Give us that revelation again this morning, Lord, of your sovereignty, of your goodness all situations and Father right now as we look into your word I ask that you would open our hearts I ask that you would speak to us I ask Father that all that we hear this morning that in it we would hear your voice and that your spirit would help us as we walk out these truths would you bless it Lord God would you bless us right now as we listen as we apply and father i know uh, god is as we give tithes and offerings our heart is god use this to advance your kingdom what we've experienced we want this world to experience the leaven that has leavened our our lives we want to see it leaven this world lord leaven the whole lump do it lord god and simply use our finances use our time use us god to see that happen we love you so much god Right now, as we look into your word, would you speak to our hearts so tenderly, encouraging us, challenging us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, you may be seated. And as you know, online, we are continuing to live stream. We're not going to cut it short. We're going to continue the live stream, which means that if you want to go online to our Facebook page, then that means you're not going to just look for... Um, the worship separately and the sermon separately, you're going to have to find, if you're looking for the sermon, just go like halfway through and you'll find it if you're on Facebook. All right. So as you look around, we are depleted and there's a good reason for this, unfortunately. And that is we had a privilege of being able to attend, many of us did, uh, a wedding but unfortunately, at this wedding, Nathan, Andrew, and Alyssa, that many of you know, very dear friends of us, they, uh, some of the, the family members in the wedding party and such were, came down with COVID. And so uh, I understand it takes at least 48 hours if you were exposed to it. 
Um, so I truly do not think, even though some of us were exposed to it, and I think just about all of us that were had gotten COVID at some point, but I just want you to know, I truly believe this is a safe place. Uh, you don't need to get up and, and head for the front door. You're going to be okay, because uh, that was just yesterday. So anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know that. I also want you to know, I got together with a, a, a pastor, a local pastor in the area, who was planning a church. His name is Arthur Gonzalez. Arthur is an amazing guy. I love this brother. And he and I grabbed uh, lunch, and over lunch, we just shared our dreams and prayer requests. And his church, called Restoration Church, is really seeking to focus on reaching the inner city, the poor. Um, the, uh, I, I think he has gone to a recovery house, and a number of the people there are kind of partnering with him at this time. Um, he's got a team, and just a great brother. Uh, super heart for God. I want to pray for Arthur and Restoration Church. Uh, he didn't share with me when, exac when exactly they're going to be launching uh, this church plant. That's the terminology that we use these days, launching a church plant. Um, I think it's close to Christmas, so he's kind of building a team right now. But I want to pray for Arthur. And if you could just join me right now, let's, let's do that. Let's lift them up as they seek to reach the harvest as we are as well. Amen. Father, thank you for this brother, Arthur Goncalves, his family. I thank you, Lord God, that his heart is after Jesus. And you have been molding and shaping him over these last 12 plus years for what he's doing now. I ask you, Lord God, that there would be an anointing upon him, upon his team, and that, God, they would be effective in your kingdom in reaching the lost, in meeting the needs of the poor, and Father, I and especially those who are addicts, but I ask God, increase that anointing. What a hard harvest to reap. But God, it is not about Arthur, and he knows that. It is about what the Spirit of God is now doing in applying the cross and the power of the resurrection to people's lives. That's what it is about. So spread your kingdom through this brother in their church that he's planting, Restoration Church. Would you do this, Lord God? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are going to continue on with our sermon series, Small But Wise. We're looking at four animals, four creatures in the book of Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to read that in just a moment. But I want to give you a little picture to start off with of someone small or a group of people small but because they acted wisely, they were able to do amazing, amazing things. His name is Daniel. Write this down, 605 B.C., all right? And so, you know, that's not a time reference uh, as far as on your watch, but a date. Because 605 B.C. is when King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, well, he was a general at the time. His dad was the king. He came and he ransacked Jerusalem. During this ransacking, his father passed away, and so he had to rush back. But when he did, he had his men capture thousands of Israelites in Jerusalem and bring them to Babylon. And if you have maps in the back of your Bible, you can kind of see where Jerusalem is, where Babylon is. It's in present-day Iraq. Uh, there was even some news several years ago about Babylon. It is a completely destroyed city. However, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar with the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, it encompassed an area about 14 miles by 14 miles. It had the most amazing, 
wall around it. It was an impenetrable fortress, so they thought, until 539 when um, the, the Persian king Cyrus attacked it during a night in which they were all drunk in celebration to their god, go figure, they stopped the Euphrates River upstream and they walked underneath the wall in a dry bed and took over the city in pretty much one night. And you read about that, just a little bit of it in the end of Daniel chapter five. We're not gonna look at that tonight, today, but I want you to see something. Here is Daniel, more than likely, a teenager, late teenager, maybe early 20s, and he has, he has his friends. Now, I've got to look at my notes because I wrote their names down, and I'm going to give you their Hebrew names that you may not recognize. Their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And you're probably scratching your head and wondering, well, who are these guys, and why are you even mentioning their names? Because they go by their Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as my kids would say, to bed you go, right? So it was a bedtime story I would tell. Anyway, and, and so these four guys, probably in their late teens, maybe early 20s, they come to Babylon. They are generally from the well-to-do, but they have been completely uprooted from their homeland, trekked hundreds and hundreds of miles away to a foreign city, a foreign country, a foreign language, and now they have to get reestablished. They're now going through an education system, a Babylonian education system, to become what some of you may know at the term is magi. Now, we read about magi in Matthew chapter 2. In the Persian, excuse me, in the Babylonian culture and in the Persian culture, these magi were simply very educated men who incorporated their religion into their education. And so they saw knowledge through the lens of their religion. Some of them, these were divided in various groups. Some of them focused more on religion. Some of them focused on other aspects of science and whatnot. And so these four men from Israel are now being educated in the ways of the Babylonians. But they made a commitment, and that was they are going to, they are going to remain faithful to God. Now, that's important. But the picture I'm painting for you is this. Here are these four men uprooted from their homeland, coming to an, a, a land. They, they feel completely like fish out of water. When they get there, they feel completely insignificant. Can, can you imagine the, the feelings that they would have? the hardships. They've been separated from their families. It's not like they go home to mom and dad. They're on their own. Everything is strange and different to them, yet they desire to remain true to the one true God, Yahweh. And they feel so small, so insignificant. How on earth can any of this be good? Now, now they understood that this was in part, a judgment of God for the sins of the people. But these were faithful guys following after the Lord. God, why? Why are we here? Can you imagine the questions? They were small. But I'm going to go into it more in just a few minutes. They were also wise. And God did amazing things 
because they chose the pathway of wisdom. They could have had their pity parties. They could have just gone about the rest of their life sulking, angry with God. Why did you bring me here? Why did you? Look how good life was back in Israel, and we're here. Why, God? And I'm going to tell you, many of us can feel this way. We're going to see some principles. We're going to draw them out, and we're going to see just how much we are or can be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This sermon series is entitled, Small But Wise. Proverbs 30, I'm going to read those five verses, verses 24 through 28. Once again, it says this. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Not just wise, extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies, or the hyrax, the rock badger, are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Now, the crags are in the cliffs of the mountains. Locusts, and we looked at this last week, have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. Now, here's what we're going to look at today, a lizard. Notice that the other creatures are in the plural. This one's by himself. It's just singular. And we're going to focus on that one lone lizard and his capabilities. But it says this, a lizard can be caught with the hand, yet is found in king's palaces. Now, I understand that the King James translates this, um, that the spider can climb with her hands, but is found in king's palaces. And, and I would just venture to say that a better reading is the one that the NIV, the NASB, and more modern translations have. Uh, this is not the spider, but the lizard. Easily caught with the hand. I'm not sure you'd want to catch a, a spider by the hand. Um, it's not referring to the spider's hands, but it is referring to human hands. You can catch this creature. I think lizard is the best way to translate it, and we're going to look at that with the, the capabilities of the lizard in just a moment. But somehow, he is able to be found in king's palaces. Now, the first three creatures that we've looked at, the ants, for example, we realize, because, excuse me, we're looking at creatures who are small but extremely wise because the, the and we're, we're trying to grasp a principle from these four creatures, but we're going to see it through the lens of this idea of yeast leavening the whole lump. That is how we, as we are out in the world, like leaven being mixed through the whole lump, how we in the world can impact the world as the yeast leavens or impacts the entire lump, not just a small portion, the entire lump. Because church, a day is coming in which the entire world, including the 1040 window, will be thoroughly impacted by the kingdom of God. And our question is, and, and my prayer is throughout this world, Christians are going to say, well, how can I be a part of that? How can I see that ushered in in my day? And so that is our controlling course. As we look through, these, look through the lens of these four creatures and their abilities, small but extremely wise, we want to apply it specifically in this area of how we can impact those around us. So for the ants, we realize that they sow into the future. They work today for something tomorrow. Those things that are eternal are God, his word, 
and human beings. We are eternal. How can we invest in the future? And I mean, we, we could apply this, I guess, in finances. That Proverbs actually does that earlier on. But I want us to see that we can impact people making disciples and therefore impact our world for the future. We looked at rock badgers. They're able to live in places their enemies cannot reach them. They're strategic in where they build their homes, how they live their lives. <clears throat> and we realize that there is a way in which the Christian can live in which the world simply cannot. And we specifically focused on this idea of how we can rejoice and praise God for all of his goodness. And how when we church focus on that, on God's goodness in our lives, that daily constant perspective, that impacts people around us. It will. If you, wherever you are, business, marketplace, home, neighbor, everywhere you are, if, it is, if your perspective is God is good in this situation and that's how you speak constantly, it will impact those around you. And it will point people to God's goodness, much as the Samaritan woman at the well said, come see a man who told me everything about myself. All right, because through all of this, we're pointing people to Jesus. The third thing we saw were the locusts. Now, the locusts go th can go through a stage, not all of them, not all the time, but when they go through this change from one stage in which they're loner locusts to what they call their gregarious stage, and that is their social, they can swarm up to 70 billion, and a group that size would cover the city of New York City one and a half times. They would eat 350 million pounds of food every day. Most of them are much smaller than that, like the ones in Kenya. And we just we realized a, 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 a swarm numbering, say, just a small group of like about 40 million, they would eat the amount of food that 35,000 people would in a day. And so there is something that happens in this locust that changes him physically, but also changes him Internally, he becomes social. He, he works with others, even without a leader. And our understanding is, wow, we looked at examples in the book of Acts and elsewhere in, in which as the church worked together, seeking to live together in complete unity, they even saw those who were the most adamantly opposed to the gospel, the priests, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the lizard. The lizard is small, but extremely wise. He's easily caught, but it is difficult to keep him out of houses and even king's palaces where they would be the most unwelcome. They're not welcome in homes, but they would be the most unwelcome in king's palaces. Can you imagine lizards getting into the White House? Snapshots of lizards all over the walls, right? Oh, no, I don't think so. You know, <clears throat> we were watching a movie. It was at night, lights off. And the only thing, the only light in the room was from the TV itself. All of the sudden. See, our, our piano was right next to our, um, our TV. 
from behind the piano comes a lizard. I guess it was specifically a, uh, a gecko. And he's doing his little thing, you know, side to side, climbing up the walls. And it freaks us out. What? <laughs> and it wasn't during a scary time. I'm grateful for that, of the movie. And he's climbing up on the wall. And so we're, what are we going to do? Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord, that my wife is not down here. So I've got to figure out, gosh, we have to get rid of this gecko before mom comes downstairs. She's going to freak. And so we're, we're, we, we try to get him. And he goes back down behind the piano. We're looking around. Ah, we can't get him. And seriously, I'm praying, Lord, please, we need your grace. We need wisdom. We need to catch this thing, please. We turn the movie back on. Within, I don't know, half an hour, an hour later, the gecko comes up again. Okay. He goes all the way up to the ceiling. He starts crossing the ceiling. You know, what are we going to do? So I grab a towel, and I'm gracious. My goal is not to kill this guy. I want to be able to safely transport him out of my home. And so he's, craw- he's climbing all the way. He can stick to the ceiling. All right? And I take the towel, and I gently just swat him. Okay, maybe a little bit stronger than just gently. And I knock him down to the ground. He's stunned a little, just stunned, just so you know. And I grab him with my hand, and I escort him out. And I say, catch some mosquitoes. And off he goes. My wife comes downstairs. What's going on? Oh, we're fine, sweetheart. We're, everything's good. We're, we're, we're totally good. Because my wife freaks out when lizards get in the home. But in king's palaces especially, mm-mm. Yet they can get in there. Let me tell you a little bit about the ability of lizards to do this. Because we've all seen them climb up the wall. They're actually fairly easy to catch when they're on the ground. A little quick, but you can catch them. You remember (laughs) Sarah Jeffords' three boys? Even their youngest, Hudson, loves to catch lizards. They, uh, it, I remember going over to a, a home that they were renting from, and all of the rocks were turned over in the yard, all of them. They went to the next-door neighbor. All of his rocks were turned over. And I'm just thinking, wow, what happened here? And Sarah says, this is when, when Mike was still around. And actually, Mike tells me, yeah. Um, our neighbors said that our boys started looking for lizards and uh, got into their yard. So we've got to put all the rocks back. But they would just... They would crawl under these rocks, and, and the three boys would be running after. They would spend, like, the entire day hunting lizards. How fun would that be, right? I grew up in the north. No lizards. How boring. But these guys loved hunting lizards. Lizards have an ability to scale walls with their hands, hang from ceilings with their, their hands. I'm going to call them hands. Excuse me. How do they do that? If you were to get a close-up look, a super microscopic close-up look at their hand, you would find their digits, you would find on them what they call hairs or CT. And they have literally billions of these CT on a hand, these hairs. At the end of every hair, there is what you call what they call a spatulae, not a spatula, looks like one honestly but a spatula. And on one side, get a load of this, it is positively charged, and on the other side, it is negatively charged. 
I didn't realize this, but every surface has either a positive or negative charge. It doesn't have to be metal. And whatever the opposite charge is on the wall, these spatulae know which one is the opposite. So if it's negatively charged, they, they do this, and the positive charge, because positive attracts negative, attaches to the wall. Billions of these just on one hand. Amazing. The, sp the spatulae, that is the pad on the end of this fine hair, is about one-tenth the width of a human hair. That's how tiny these things are. But they are, they're able to know if the wall is positively charged or negatively charged. And if it's on a super smooth surface, like a, the, the waxed surface of a leaf, those have less charge, so they generally use more or all of their spatulae to, a, to attach. They don't use all of them on every surface. How do these, how do these lizards know this? I, I, I don't know. No scientist is going to crawl inside their brain and ask them questions. But God created them so uniquely. And the author of, uh, of this proverb uses the term extremely wise. How many of you have ever had a lizard? Oh, this is frustrating. Especially if you were married to someone who loves lizards outside, from a distance anyway, but hates them in the home, right? It's like they will just wait for you on the outside of the wall. They're just waiting, thinking to themselves, soon as that door is open, I'm charging in. So we, you open the door, and before you know, there goes this creature. Oh, no. I need to find this lizard. I need to get some sleep tonight because my wife will say, no one's going to bed until we catch this lizard, all right? And so, okay, we've got to catch this lizard. Lizards, once they get inside, even in a king's palaces, even through the windows or the doors, they can hide behind furniture. They can climb up high on walls. And in palaces, the walls are a little bit higher than in most of our houses. And they can climb on the ceilings. And they're generally stones, so it's e there, there's even more surface. And they can easily climb on them and get away from being captured. I want to talk tonight, to, to today, about how we can live like these lizards. I'm going to entitle this, this sermon, Platforms with Purpose. Platforms with Purpose. And I'm, I'm specifically using this word platform because I want to distinguish it from another term, stage. I believe God opens doors of opportunity, much as we open that door to our house, literally, and the lizard comes in, God will open doors of opportunity for us to come in, like lizards, even in king's palaces. And specifically, this is a king's palace in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life. They found themselves in that place, but I'm going to call it a platform and not a stage. A stage Generally, when you stand on a stage, it is to perform for people, and people applaud you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it is all about you, because you're standing on the stage, and people are applauding because they've loved your performance. Whatever your performance is, they've loved it, and they want to encourage you and honor you with applause. I'm not, I'm not putting that down, but that is not what I want to make this analogous to. A platform is different. A platform is merely a, a, a place 
from which we can impact people, either through our words or through our actions. It is simply, and, and it varies, it can even, in your life, it can vary from day to day. A platform might be your, your job. That's actually the example that is given here. It could be your job. It could be your neighborhood. It could be a circumstance that you find yourself in. And we're going to look at that as well, like prison. Yeah, you know, I, I was encouraged when John MacArthur, the pastor of a church out in California and with California's laws trying to shut his church down and threatening him, if you don't comply, you will go to prison. And he simply said this, fine. You're not going to shut our church down, and if you want me to, if you want to put me in prison, I welcome it. I'll just start a prison ministry, because he saw it as a platform to be able to minister wherever he is. This is what Paul did. I want us to look at Daniel here for a moment. So turn with me, if you would, to J Daniel, <coughs> chapter end of chapter two. Honestly, the entire first six chapters of Daniel is all about this concept of a platform. And we, we don't have time. We're going to look at several verses, but we don't have time to see what God did. God is the one who opens the door for these lizards, if you will, and they come in because they have a purpose. Platforms with purpose. And these men discover a purpose. In chapter 1, they're given a test, and they want to remain true to God, but they're encouraged to eat certain meats, and they realize that if we just open the door to meats, we could get meats offered to idols, and we really don't want that. So their perspective, their convictions were, we don't want to eat meats offered to idols, so we won't eat meat at all. We'll just be vegetarians. Well, that didn't go over too well with the one who was overseeing them. And so they asked them, well, just give us 10 days, please. And so they did. And it worked out very well for them. God honored them to the point where God blessed them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, they're like 10 times wiser than all the other dudes out there. Well, the king in chapter two has a dream. And in the stream, there's a statue and he's not going to tell any of his magi what the dream even is. And he just says, hey, guys, interpret this dream for me. But first, you got to tell me what it is. And they're saying, well, King, you've given us an impossible task. That didn't go over too well with King Nebuchadnezzar. Because, hey, if you're in tune with the gods, then the gods will show you even what my dream is. But they couldn't do it. But there is one who could. And his name was Daniel. And he said, hey, guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you got to pray for me because here's the situation. The king, if, if none of us magi can tell him what the dream is and interpret it for him, we're going to all die. Pretty serious situation. A situation where they could easily complain about, God, you brought us here to Babylon to die? I mean, you've been blessing us, and now this? Really? And they could have caught a serious attitude. We're small, and I guess we're going to die small. How can they be extremely wise? Well, they cried out to God. And they, they chose to see this as a platform, as an opportunity, a op an open door for them. 
Not a door that's closing specifically on their life, they're going to die, but an opportunity. They prayed. God gave Daniel the dream. Gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation of the dream. He shares it with the king, and here's what happens. End of chapter 2. Verse 48. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position. He gets a promotion and lavished many gifts on him. Lots of perks in this new position. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the wise men, that is the magi. Now, he's not a governing ruler over all of them. He doesn't become the governor of Babylon, but he oversees all the educated, all the magi. That's his new, that's his promotion at this time in his life as a young man. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Interesting. So God opens a door of opportunity and provides them with a platform with which to impact the people around them, not just those in the school. They're no longer there. They're promoted now to impact other officials, high-ranking officials. That's a promotion. It's a platform. God opened the door for them. But now we turn to chapter 3. Apparently, it seems that King Nebuchadnezzar loved the interpretation of the dream that he had from Daniel, the interpretation. He now wants to construct a similar image, but this one's going to be made of all gold and not just the head like it was in the dream. That head represented King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian empire. The other portions of the image represented other kingdoms. So he constructs this image. It's 90 feet tall. It's made of gold. He he, he says, okay, we are now going to all bow down. Who is we? You know who we are? It tells us there in chapter 3. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, administrators, and all the other provincial officers, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe Daniel wasn't present at this. Maybe he was off taking care of other business. We don't see him in this chapter, but we do see those three who have just been promoted to become administrators. Then all of the governing officials gather around. What are they going to do? They're going to Uh, come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So he's going to dedicate the image. And when all of these instruments suddenly start playing, here's the command. You need to bow down to this image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a serious problem with this. When all of the magicians sounded their instruments, everyone bowed down to this image except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine the playing field there? All of these officials gathered around, huge celebration, and they all bow down. And there's the three Israelites standing there, refusing to obey the king. And he is ticked. And we read then in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... (coughs) Uh, replied the king, 
replied to the king, because the king says, unless you do this, you will die. You're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Most of you have heard that aspect of the story. And so he says to them, excuse me, and these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hands. They said this to his face. Wow. Mm. Mm. Conviction of what is truth in the face of death. Mm. O king, but even if he does not. See, this isn't a lack of faith. It's just an uncertainty about what exactly God's perfect will is. Because they're certain that God is going to receive glory. But how? He can save us. Or even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And so he has his men take these three Israelites, these three Hebrews, and he stokes the fire. It says seven times hotter. They throw them in. You remember the story. The guys that threw them in, when they opened the door, it was so hot, they died. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Somehow they are able to look into the furnace. I don't know how they do that. Maybe it's an open portion of it. We don't know. They're able to peer inside. This is what it says. The king says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, some have speculated that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. It may be, or it may simply be an angel. This term used by pagans, Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan, could easily apply to angels or maybe one of his lesser gods. But there's a fourth one in the fire. We actually sing a song about that, right? Something is happening. These guys are able to walk around in this fire, and there's even someone with them. And this thoroughly impacts the king. And I can only imagine others to the point where he says, bring them out. Bring them out. And it says at this point that all the officers, when they bring out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all the officers are gathered around. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Wow. No smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. The three that completely defied the king, listen to his words. <laughs> they trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say, Anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble 
for no other God can save in this way. Wow. That is a platform. They had been promoted. What a a wonderful opportunity. But in their promotion, now they have to attend this dedication and risk their lives. Can you imagine standing there just saying, oh, Lord, I wish I hadn't gotten this promotion. But that's not the attitude that they had. Wow. They were there on this platform with an opportunity, an open door. And, and even to the point where, they, you know, even if we die, we're going to stand here. In our conviction, we will not betray our God. We won't do it. God did an absolute miracle. Because of their faith, they stepped into this door of opportunity that God, honestly, in this situation, they were thrust into. God opened the door. They accepted the promotion, but God thrust them into this situation in chapter 3 just so that God would receive the glory. Their promotion opened up an opportunity for them to impact those around them. Now, the story doesn't stop there. I'm only going to talk about it and read maybe one or two verses. But the next chapter is like the climax of it. Because Nebuchadnezzar does not necessarily bend the knee of his heart to the one God in heaven. But it certainly appears in chapter 4 that he does. He has another dream. Who is he going to go to with this dream? Well, he knows who to go to. He's going to go to the one whose God is the revealer of mysteries. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar confesses earlier. So I'm going to to have Daniel come in, and Daniel tells him the interpretation of the dream. And that is that this tree would be cut down. And that 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 tree represented Nebuchadnezzar. And he would be insane for seven years, eating grass like a cow. And then once once he humbled himself and repented, God would restore him. The entire chapter, chapter 4, is dedicated to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. First impacted by Daniel in the interpretation of dream. Then impacted by what happened concerning the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now this dream, God has Nebuchadnezzar's number. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now standing on a platform with every promotion that they get. There is opportunity. They're simply ministering at different levels politically. Now, we would look at Daniel as a prophet, but that was not his first call, if you will. Daniel is a statesman. He's a politician. A politician. You know the definition of politicians, right? Poly meaning ticks. Excuse me, poly meaning many, and ticks meaning blood-sucking. Anyway, the truth is they're being promoted, and God is giving them opportunity. And, and, And you know what? Sometimes God gives us opportunities in the opposite direction, not just through promotions, but through demotions. Do you remember Joseph? He'd been promoted to head over Potiphar's house, 
He was excellent. And whatever he did prospered. And even Potiphar recognized this. Your God must be with you. I want to keep you where you're at because your God is blessing me. What a testimony. Many of us in our day call that the Joseph principle, by the way. Well, it, something happened. I won't get into all the details. And he's now thrown in prison. That is a demotion. But even in prison, God blesses him. Then he starts impacting the jailer and those in the prison. Do you see? Whether it's a promotion or a demotion, the, the heart of the people of God is this is a platform. This is an opportunity. And I'm going to seize this opportunity. And my heart is to impact those around me. May that be our heart wherever God places us. Don't just simply be so excited about a promotion. Oh, more money. No. Oh, I'm, praise God for, for more money, I suppose, and, and, and an opportunity to bless his kingdom with it, right? But this, this is not a stage. This is not about me, this promotion. This is about what I can do in this new opportunity. I'm rubbing shoulders with different people now. Higher officials, even Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel sees that opportunity. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar says at the very end of the chapter. He confesses. He went insane for seven years. He finally humbled himself, and his sanity was restored, and his throne as well was restored. And this is what he says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he continues to, to go on praising the one true God. This happened because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, kind of working together as a team, saw an open door and like lizards went into that king's palace. But not everything is a promotion or even a demotion. There are times in which we are very intentional about what we want to do to advance the kingdom and that then becomes a platform, okay? That then becomes a platform. Jesus planned his ministry. And when he went from city to city, town to town, he impacted people. But sometimes these platforms that God is going to give you, they are not planned at all. Not planned at all. Completely out of your hands. When Paul and Silas are in Philippi, they're just ministering, but they end up ministering to a demonized lady, casts the demon out, and apparently, and I would say in a limited fashion, she being a fortune teller, lost that ability. And let me just say this as an aside, Satan may know some of the future, but he certainly does not have the insight that God does. Nowhere close. So to some degree, 
she was able to predict the future, but she lost that. And because she was a slave, the owners lost money. They imprisoned Paul. And then as we read in, in Acts chapter 16, well, let me not get into it just due to the time. It's midnight, and instead of sitting around, tossing and turning in their sleep, so angry and disappointed with God, that he, here they are trying to advance his kingdom, trying to take advantage of this platform. And what, what does God do? Throws them in prison. Thank you, but no thank you. That's not their attitude. You know what at midnight they, just, they choose? To, they chose to sit down and have a worship service. And they're singing to God. And they're declaring his goodness. They're pointing everyone that can hear them. Whether they want these guys singing or not. They put on a concert. And they are worshiping God, declaring his goodness, and there's an earthquake. The earth, all the jailer, all the jails, doors open up. They remain inside. When chaos had finally settled, the jailer is terrified. He won't just lose his job. He will be put to death if any of those in jail escape. Paul and Silas say, hey, no worries. We are all here, all of us. The jailer immediately asks, oh my goodness, what must I do to be saved? My, my translation. What do, I, what do I do, guys? He heard their concert. He heard them declaring the praises of God. He heard them singing about Jesus. What do I need to do? What do I need to do to be saved? Apparently in their songs, they talked about salvation. They talked about the gospel. What a wonderful opportunity. And I can remember years and years ago, and I'm sorry, this is, this is going to be silly. But there were my, my, one of my close friends, he lived behind me. He was, he was a Christian as well as myself. He ended up being the best man in my wedding. His name's Bob. Bob and I went to the, the, a park. And at this park, we were just throwing and hitting and just playing baseball, just you know, kind of goofing around, having fun. <laughs> and there were people around in the park within earshot. So we just decided to have a conversation and in that conversation, we shared the gospel. And we just, you know, <clears throat> we're just going to use this as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So instead of standing on a platform and saying, hey, guys, this, let me tell you about Jesus. We just had kind of a low-key conversation with loud voices, of course, and people could hear the gospel. Something like this happened as they are worshiping God and declaring the truths of the gospel. And the man says, what must I do to be saved? See, that is a platform. That's a platform. They chose to have the right attitude. And I think there's two things, and I'm going to wrap up with this, two things that we need as we are going to seize these platforms. As God opens that door, and we as God's mighty lizards, small but extremely wise, come in even into king's palaces. Two things. Number one, perspective. And in this story, Paul, yeah, Paul and Silas have the right perspective. 
and it enables them to have the right attitude and say, God is even in this, with us in the jail. We don't know what he's going to do, but instead of pouting and sulking, we're going to declare his praises. They want to be like those rock badgers. And they're going to declare God's praises and point people to Jesus. But here they are now as lizards with this platform, and God takes over from there. I want you to see, if we can have the right attitude, God can open so many, not just the doors, but the doors of people's hearts. If we choose to have the right attitude. The other thing is found in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus looks at a crowd, and his heart is stirred. He is about to speak to his disciples, but in, right, that's in chapter 10, but right before he does that, he is ministering to a crowd. He is literally using a platform, standing on a mountainside, whatever, and, and teaching. But here's what he did. When he sees all of these people, Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. His heart was filled with compassion. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You, my friend, are a worker. You are a laborer in his vineyard, in his kingdom. He's wanting to entrust platforms to you. Make it your decision to see it from his perspective and have the heart that he did, a heart of compassion. Do this. Walk through, maybe next time you're walking to the water cooler at work, walk through the office and look at the people and allow God to get a hold of your heart here are people. They could be gone like this. They're like the grass that rises up and withers away. Their time could come and go, and it could be today or tomorrow. Does your heart break for them? So many of them are lost. They're harassed, and they're helpless, and without a shepherd, Jesus, if they don't know him. Let God fill your heart with compassion. Let God break your heart for what breaks his. Let God stir your heart up as you walk through the mall. And, and don't be numb to the crowds. That's so easy to do. It truly is. But next time, walk through it slowly and see the people Jesus, that Jesus died for. See the people who are so lost in their ability to see God in anything in their life. They're disconnected from that hope that's in Christ. They're lost. And let God break your heart for them. Let God allow you to see that these people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Get his perspective. Get his heart of compassion. And then every day say, okay, God, 
this is the platform that you've given me, whether it's at work, my neighborhood, and, and, and just opportunities through promotions, through demotions, through difficult circumstances, anything and everything, this is a platform. I today will be a lizard in his kingdom. When God opens that door, I'm in. And I will not be afraid. Okay, maybe I will be afraid, but I'm still going to do it. Because God, you're going to open people's hearts. I can't do it. You will. Can I close in prayer right now? Let's just covenant together, you and God, just saying, God, no matter what, let me see this platform. Let me step up boldly and let me do whatever I can because I am small and truth be told, I am insignificant. Though I recognize your love, thank you, Lord. Can you just let surrender your heart to him and just say, God, let me be extremely wise though. Mm. I want to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed. I want to be like Paul and Silas. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Jesus. God, give us platforms. Father, I just turn to you right now. And I'm just asking you, Lord, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what is happening in our life, that we would recognize your sovereign hand. You are good even when our circumstances are bad or hard. And we are simply asking, God, give me the right attitude and perspective and give me that heart of compassion that Jesus had. The harvest is ripe. It is right here. Father, I just ask, with every door that you open, at least give us enough light for the next step. At least show us how we can live and how we can speak that will impact others. All of eternity hinges on these few years you give us. May we be so faithful to these platforms, never seeking stages where we're the focus and we are the ones receiving the applause of men, Lord, but rather a platform from which we can impact even kings or perhaps the lowliest and even jailers, wherever we are. May we be like those little creatures, lizards, moving in and out, seeking platforms with purpose. God, whatever you need to change in here to do that, we are saying, God, do it. Free license, do whatever you got to do. You're sovereign. Move me as you wish so that I can be like that yeast in the whole love. God, please, you do this. I'm simply your humbled servant, surrendered to your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can I just say this? 
I know I'm done with the sermon, but I'm not. But I was just thinking about this. Meredith, um, for, for 12 years, she was pregnant. N- not 12 entire years, you understand, but nine months at a time, right? And that changed her life. She was used to discipling young ladies and being active and going about, and then she hit this 12-year period, and that was just being pregnant. With nursing, it was 14 years, and then raising a family. I mean, she had to gain a different perspective. Her platform, her opportunities to minister changed so very much, and she just had to say, okay, in this season in my life, and we all have different seasons, what can I do? And let God lead you, Okay. I just want to leave that with you. Be in touch with God this week and asking him, show me my platform for today. Amen. God bless you.